As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. Today's Tuesday, June 28th. I'm Robert Mays. Great show for you guys today. Zach Kiefer, our Colts writer, one of our Colts writers at The Athletic, is going to be joining us a little bit later to announce and preview a very special project that is going to be coming your way in the Athletic Football Show feed in July. We're doing a narrative podcast series about Andrew Luck. Zach has spent the last five months working on it. We're extremely excited about it. It's going to be coming out the week of July 11th. So Zach's going to come on to talk about the process of putting that together, what we're excited about, why we think that story deserves to be told right now. Excited for you guys to hear that conversation. Before we do that, though, I am very happy to welcome my good friend, Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? Um, I'm great, Robert. I'm excited to do this mailbag. The questions are really fun. You guys brought a lot of stuff. Um, and our Broncos fans, uh, our Broncos listeners will be excited. So, We got great questions. We always do. We have to start this on a somewhat dour note, though. I'm not <laughs> excited to, to announce this, and I'm actually very sad about it. Uh, this is your last show with us at The Athletic. You are moving on to a wonderful opportunity that you can't talk about quite yet, and I am very excited for you, but I am also extremely sad to lose you, and I don't think I fully processed it quite yet. Yeah, so this is a, real, a little breaking news here, which I will tweet about more later. Um, but yeah, this is my last week at The Athletic. Um, four years here, which is just wild. Um, and yeah, I'll be I'll be posting more about it after the 4th of July holiday. So I can't really say anything yet. But I am um, I've loved my four years here. The last two years doing the show together have been really fun. Um, I just I love what we've built here. And I'm really excited to keep listening. And hopefully you'll have me back. Um, as uh, you're welcome back whenever you want to come on <laughs> literally anytime you want to come on I you have been so instrumental in, in building what the first couple of years of this has been I couldn't imagine having done it without you I honestly can't imagine what it's going to be like to do without you after you leave uh, you and I have known each other for a long time uh, we have not gotten to work together for that long and um, I don't know if I would be here working here if it weren't for you I and you kind of going to bat for me and, and supporting me and all of that has truly in that moment meant a ton to me and the chance to share this together has meant a ton to me, and it's it's a real bummer. I, I'm very happy for you, very sad for us, and very sad for our listeners who no longer get what has been invaluable insight from you all the time. 
Yeah. Well, you, um, I, I can't say much else, but I will still kind of be in the NFL space. So I'm not disappearing off the face of the earth. But I, yeah, I'll bug you guys. I'll text you and Nate. And when can I come on? I want to talk about this. And I want to come back and own your asses in the quarterback draft again next year. Uh, so. We will we'll definitely make that happen. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about any of that. All right. And, and also, to- Lena's picks, my daughter's uh, picks are going to still be uh, on the internet. And our dear producer, Marissa, is going <laughs> to keep editing those for me and as we turn my, my daughter better- into a YouTube star. <laughs> They'll be better than Nate and Shields every single week. So 100%. we got to make sure that those offset each other. All right, Marissa, can we get our first voicemail here? I guess we got to start this at some point, even though I'm sad about it. Hi, Robert. Hi, Lindsay. I'm a huge fan of the show. Um, Thank you both for all the work you do. And the reason I'm saying this mostly is because I am going to ask another annoying Deshaun Watson question. So I'm sorry to you both, especially to you, Lindsay. But the question is this, um, with the Trevor Bauer suspension in Major League Baseball um, going to two years, do you think that will have any impact on the NFL's decision on Deshaun Watson moving forward? And the other part of the question, I haven't really gotten any clarification, is with his contract, if he is suspended for a year. If he is suspended for a year because he's got the guaranteed contract, do the Browns basically get an added year onto his contract? Um, or does he just get paid and his contract just continues as is, but he's suspended, so he just can't play but gets paid? So thank you both again for all the work you do. And <laughs> uh, sorry about the question, but thanks again. There's no reason to apologize. We we need to talk about this. And it's been one of the driving pieces of NFL news over the last few days. There are new kind of bits uh, that have come to light with the Wall Street Journal story that came out this weekend and further reporting from people like Albert Beer today and the MQB and just the state of where these discussions are at and what comes next. So I appreciate the question. You certainly don't have to apologize for it. I wanted to start with the Trevor Bauer side of this. I'm wondering if in any of your reporting you have stumbled onto anything or somebody said anything to you about where that piece comes into the NFL's considerations. I don't know if it should be relevant. I don't know if it is relevant. I'm wondering if that is something that has come up at all with you. Yeah. So from like a practical standpoint, from what the discipline is actually going to be, I don't think it's going to have much relevance at all. That would be my assumption. Um, The NFL very much kind of believes itself to be like the superior league here and that they are the leader in uh, on-field product and uh, their off-field policies. And they don't really look at what's going on in these other leagues for guidance um, that could be uh, seen as a, as a bad thing. You know, some of these other leagues have done things better in many respects. Um, and the NFL, in, in, to, to their credit, have done some things well and have been leaders in um, other policies and stuff in their, that regard. But so I don't think, you know, Roger Goodell and Sue L. Robinson, who's the disciplinary officer, who, um, when you guys are listening to this podcast on Tuesday morning, is going to be beginning the hearing. The hearing is going to be starting in front of her. I don't think they're, you know, actively looking at what exactly was going on in Major League Baseball. But it would be completely naive of us to think that from a public relations standpoint and from a PR impact that they're not paying attention to what what's happened there. And the fact that what they have done so far in regards to Deshaun Watson is pretty out of line with discipline from other leagues. And 
you know, the Trevor Bauer case, you know, if you know, listeners to the show might not be super familiar with all of the ins and outs of what's happened there, um, I encourage you to go read the really in-depth reporting um, that The Athletic has done. Katie Strang and Britt Girali have done incredibly detailed reporting over the last couple of years into all the allegations um, and everything that's got on with Trevor Bauer. Um, some really disgusting, and disturbing um, sexual assault allegations. The similarities with Deshaun Watson is that there are no criminal charges um, in either of those cases. Um, there are civil cases. Um, the Bauer accusations are significantly more violent in nature, these, these allegations, than Watson's. Watson's situation, um, very voluminous, right? I mean, dozens yeah. of accusations from dozens of different women. Um, and the, I guess the main difference is that is um, is that MLB used administrative leave kind of from the outset and basically just essentially pulled Trevor Bauer off the field. The NFL has not done that. They've indicated they will not do that. And look, a disciplinary decision is coming very shortly, potentially by the end of this week. Um, I've mentioned this on this podcast before. And one thing that I do come back to a lot is how the Texans basically gave Roger Goodell an out last year and allowed him not to use an, uh, a paid suspension of any uh, or any sort of administrative leave by essentially not playing him last year at all while he he didn't want to play. They didn't want him to play. It was this really messy, ugly situation. So I do wonder what would have happened if Deshaun had insisted on playing and he and his agents had said, I'm here. I've shown up for camp. I'm clearly your best quarterback on the roster. You need to play me. And if you're going to pay me all that sort of stuff, or if he'd gotten traded to the Dolphins, who weren't going to trade for him at midseason for him to sit out. Um, what would have Roger Goodell done then? Would there have been a more of an administrative leave? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think that as this hearing is going on this week that there's going to be this massive discussion about, well, look what baseball has done. Look how, look how these other sports take crimes against women or accusations against women so much more seriously. Um, I don't think that's going to be part of it. But I do think they have to be aware of what's happening outside of kind of their building, you know, the, the NFL League headquarters, and how it's going to look if ultimately this is four games, six games, eight games, really anything less than a year slash indefinite suspension. And, and I think that's a perfect segue because you watch what's happened over the last couple of weeks. They're leaking this to whoever will listen, it feels like, about what sort of punishment they want handed down. That doesn't seem like an accident. I think the NFL wants it out there as much as possible that they're seeking a significant suspension. They're seeking kind of an unprecedented punishment when it comes to stuff like this because they're already trying to get out in front of that a little bit. So second part of this question, if it is a year, if it is a full season, and you know, we've heard about the fact that the PA – wants it reduced significantly from that. They're talking about precedent as it relates to the Daniel Snyder situation, Jerry Jones, all of that stuff. I think that's going to be a difficult argument for them to make because of exactly what you mentioned. The voluminous nature of this makes it a little bit different. So if he is suspended for a year, what then happens? My understanding of this, based on reporting that Pro Football Talk has done in a couple other places, his contract would just toll for a year. It would not start until the next season. So it would be the same contract he's on now, that with that one million and change base salary, that would push on to the 2023 season instead of this season. The one aspect of him, he still gets paid this year in the sense that he got a $45 million signing bonus. Like the, the signing bonus, I think, is his in his pocket right now, but his base salary and the way that he gets paid every single week, 
like on a typical NFL contract, that would now start now until 2023 yeah. if he could spend it for the season. And I would say there's one other just important thing to just note that's kind of related to this and as discipline comes potentially this week or, or next week um, is that he has not been suspended yet. Um, there's no such thing as like time served. He did not play a single game, a single snap, a single practice really at any point during the 2021 season. Um, but there should be no consideration of time served because he got his entire full salary from the Houston Texans last mm -hmm. year. Um, so there's he has not served any punishment now. And kind of as I just mentioned, you know, he wasn't going to he didn't want to play for them. So this was not like the Texans punishing Deshaun Watson last year. The league did not punish Deshaun Watson last year. So um, I've seen some like hints of that before of like, you know, he the Texans chose not to play him and stuff last year. It's a lot more complicated than that. And uh, that's not something that will go into this equation. This is not the most important aspect of this, but from the Browns perspective, financially team building their hopes as a franchise I think you make an argument that it would almost be better if his contract did not kick in until next season rather than him getting suspended 12 games or eight games or whatever it would be because next year he has like a 55 million dollar cap hit like next year it yeah gets and you push very, that off very, another year and that it would push that off another year so it would because losing what is the cheap year on this deal with the bets they made, with all of the draft capital they gave up, and all of what they took on to go get him. Again, this is like the 10th most important thing. But from the Browns' perspective, it does become a pretty important consideration because I think they believed he would play this year. And now it looks like he's probably not going to. Are you, are you saying that there were some miscalculations on the Browns' part? In the months I, leading I, up to I, this, I am saying that. Okay. I, I gotcha. am saying. Got that. it. Got but it. When they when they were looking at this and the way that they structured it, I mean, the fact that he's like a ten million dollar cap hit this year, I think they assumed he would miss six games the way that a lot of other guys have missed. That that's what the number has been, right, in the past. So if you're going out past precedent, if he's going to miss six games, we're not going to pay him very much. We have this team that we think is built to win a championship. We went out to get Jacoby Brissett. We can live for six games with Jacoby Brissett. Now all of those considerations change. You know, do you want to play a whole season with Jacoby Brissett as your quarterback? How is this team now set up for this year and the future? One more time, not the most important thing. <laughs> Certainly not the most important thing. But for Browns fans, which we're going to get to a little bit later on this show, you know, other people interested in that side of it, this does add just another layer of stuff you have to consider as it comes to this. All right, next question here. Zach says, hey, guys, my name is Zach. Love the show. I was thinking about how much positional coaches are valued by the particular franchises and if it's your more universal or more of a scheme fit. That being said, let's say you're a newly appointed head coach and you already have your defensive and offensive coordinators set. Are there one or two position coaches on each side of the ball that you would want to grab? For this thought experiment, let's say through some magic shenanigans, you could have any position coaches you wanted. Thank you for the time. I have made my stance about this known uh, for a while here. I would pay any like I would go do essentially what the Browns did going back to the Browns. I would give Bill Callahan whatever he wanted. <laughs> he was like, at the top of my list too. Whatever you want, I would start with the offensive line coach and I would offer a, a, a stupid sum of money to the best offensive line coach in the NFL. There is no salary cap on position coaches. There's no salary cap on coaches in general. It is an area where if you're willing to shell out some cash, you can create a little advantage for yourself. So the offensive line coach is the first place I would start. I have a couple more thoughts on this, but wh where would you, where would your priorities lie? Where would be the number one thing for you? Yeah. I mean, offensive line coach, I think is this place to start because, um, 
It's such a unique skill and it's such an important teaching position. Yes. I mean, so many of the players who are coming into the league from college, draft picks through undrafted players, they need a lot of work to get ready. I mean, college football, it's adapting now. It's changing, I think, or the NFL now is maybe coming back to college football a little bit where maybe there's not quite as big of a learning curve. But I think at that position, having somebody who knows exactly what they're doing, technique, scheme, being a good teacher, being that right mix of like hard ass, but tough love, caring about the growth of an individual, all that stuff. I think that's so important at that position. Um, and Bill Callahan is the guy that I also had right near the top of my list. Um, I also put Mike Munchak up there. Um, totally. I don't actually believe he's on a staff right now, but at a position where teaching is of a priority, there's not really anybody better than Mike Munchak at that position. Um, so I'm with you. And then I I would flip that defensive line also incredibly important. Um, that would probably be where I'd go next with my second draft pick. Um, and I want Chris Kosarek, whose name I always mispronounce, uh, who's the 49ers defensive right. line coach. I think, I think that's it, right. I think it's right too, but I every time I write it, I double check. Um, but it just K-O-C-U-R-E-K. In terms of a, yes. 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 Not even um, looking at it. Look at me yeah. go. So he would be my number one uh, defensive position coach draft pick. I agree with – he might be my second pick after an offensive line coach. I don't know if defensive line coach would, you go would be my second in the pecking order. I think so. The way the league currently works and how important the passing game is now, I think my second pick would probably be – some sort of secondary coach passing yeah. game coordinator. And I think that's fair because right now the way the league is trending too is that's where defensive coordinators are coming from. Yes. Is from that is from that position. But I do think like when you look at like salaries and stuff, like consistently developing defensive linemen is just really, really important. So I, that's I, where I went. I went I, I would go there, but then so who would you take? Do you have a, a couple DBs coaches that you really, really like? I mean the what Aubrey Pleasant did with yeah. the Rams, and then so the two guys in that role with the Rams, where I don't, I think Aubrey was just the cornerbacks coach uh, for the Rams in 2020 when they had the best defense in the league, and then he got promoted to be the passing game coordinator for the Lions because Aaron Glenn is the defense coordinator yeah. there. But Ajiro Evero, who was the passing game coordinator for the Rams last year, is now the Broncos defensive coordinator. Yeah. So these guys who were and in that role in, in LA continue to get fast tracked. Well, these and now jobs. Um, Evero's. Uh, defensive back coach in Denver is Christian Parker, who is when you talk to people around the league about like who are some of the really young rising coaches names you need to know, it's Christian Parker. I'm going to do a little shameless plug right now for my 40 <laughs> under 40 list, which published this morning on The Athletic. And a couple of these names that we just mentioned, Christian Parker is on there. Aubrey, Aubrey Pleasant is on there. These are names of guys who will be coordinators in this league pretty soon. Um, and then that's kind of the pipeline now from DB's coach to defensive coordinator to head coach. My third one, I think, would be like passing game coordinator, quarterback coach on the offensive side. Just having somebody in there that can really help you shape what that part of your game is. I mean, it, the quarterback is king. Like, how can I stop a quarterback? How can I make a quarterback better? And then the other, the last consideration as to why the secondary coach, passing game coordinator, would be my first one on defense. I think the secondary is really similar to the offensive line in that getting that group on the same page and it's a learn skill. And it requires a ton of communication and interplay between the individual pieces. So having a coach in that room that can get everybody on the same page, I think, is super, super valuable. Yeah. And on the Bill Callahan side of this, uh, I very recently uh, had a meal 
with uh, someone who works on this podcast whose uh, significant other and spouse might know a little something about Bill Callahan. Sometimes we overshoot how important these guys are, how good they are at their jobs. If you're curious, go talk to someone who has plays for Bill Callahan about what it's like to play for him compared to anyone else that coaches that position. It, it's real. Like the impact those guys make is very, very real. Um, I'm going to throw out one other assistant coach who doesn't really fit any of the molds that we've been talking about. But if I was going to put together a staff and I just wanted to have really good teachers and really good, um, very specific positional coaches, um, I'd get Bobby Turner on my staff yeah. to coach my running backs. He's taking a leave of absence from the 49ers right now. He's, you know, he's one of the older assistant coaches in the league. Um, he's had some like health, some health stuff I think that he needs to deal with. Um, but I would, there's nobody I want coaching my running backs more than I'd want Bobby Turner. There's some really good running backs coaches in this league, but his track record, what he does with undrafted guys, late round draft picks and what he's done for decades with those guys and getting <laughs> yeah, them the, in, to turn like literally into 30 years of, of proof of doing that. Well, yeah. So, um, shout out Bobby Turner. You can come coach on my staff anytime. All right. Marissa, can we get our next voicemail here? Hey y'all. This is Tim from Tampa, Florida. Uh, love the show. Really learn a lot. Listen every week. Uh, this question is for uh, Lindsay. I haven't heard you discuss yet the biggest controversy of the Broncos offseason, uh, which, of course, is the Russell Wilson Let's Ride video. Um, brings me to my question. Is Russell Wilson the toughest QB hang in the NFL? And then on the flip side, uh, who's the QB you'd like to have a beer with the most? Keeping, keeping in mind Ryan Fitzpatrick is now retired. Thanks, y'all. Uh, hope you get to the question. Really appreciate you taking the time. Just, just a fantastic question. I, I have not seen uh, this a video. Really good question. Is it really, really well, bad? Well, so he, um, I, I think there's multiple Let's Ride videos. I'm actually not sure exactly which one Tim is referring to. What I'm thinking is the one when he basically announced that he was coming to Denver. It was the one that they were able to post, um, like on whatever the first March 15th or whatever yeah, the first yeah, yeah. day of the league year was. Um, and it was kind of a video of um, Russell and Sierra going to Children's Hospital in Denver. And, you know, they're all wearing like Broncos gear and stuff. And at the end, he kind of just says, all right, Broncos country, let's ride. And I immediately was like, oh, he's trying to make this happen. He's, oh, yeah. This is his, it's it's this the is Go Hawks. It, it's, it's, it's the Broncos version of Go Hawks. So and I've messaged with people immediately about this, including like our our Seahawks beat writers and stuff. And the people are like, is that a thing? Like, is is let's ride like a Broncos <laughs> thing? It's horses and stuff. I'm like, no, it's not. I've literally never heard of it before. Um, the Broncos have put together lots of different slogans in the past. United and Orange, I think, was like during the Super Bowl season a few years ago. They've tried a lot of this stuff, but like let's ride is very much like Russell Wilson is making this his thing and like okay fine it's horses and cowboys and i i don't know so it's felt very forced but it also is very much in line with like who russell is that that's um, russell wilson in a nutshell it feels very yeah, forced look but. he's but so here's where i kind of come down on russell right now is like he he is like he's probably not a great hang necessarily right if you're turkey I, I don't i don't know but i i was on a podcast uh, it was like a women in sports podcast a few weeks ago and they asked me like who in the nfl would you trust to babysit your child and i was like russell wilson i will send my daughter right over to their house they live like two miles away lena can hang out with sienna and sierra and the, the boys it'll be great like he's my number one draft pick of <laughs> who i would trust to to 
watch my child. And I'm totally fine with that. And I will say, I do appreciate the very first time that I interviewed Russell Wilson was in 2012. Um, I had just gone to USA Today. It was October. Um, I just left the Denver Post. and It was the first trip I took. And I flew to Seattle to write a feature on this new cornerback who had just like challenged Tom Brady and said, you mad, bro? <laughs> like this guy, Richard Sherman, like who is this guy? And while I was there, I got like a sit down with Russell Wilson, who was halfway through his rookie year. And yeah, I was going to say th- those days are long gone. Yeah. And uh, so it was nice. We had like 15 minutes or something. And, you know, it was really it was really nice. And I wrote this like Q&A that ran in USA Today. But I remember filing that story and my editor at the time calling me and like MFing me about how Russell, you didn't get Russell Wilson to say anything. And this guy, we send you all the way out there and he's not going to say, you can't get like a good quote out of this guy. And I was like, oh my, I can't do this job and I'm a national reporter now and I'm going to get fired because I couldn't get a good question. And now we know 10 years later, Russell Wilson has never Certainly said Certainly not your fault. And it's fine. That's This is who he is. It is authentically him. Um, I've seen little bits where like when cameras are off, recorders are off. Where like he can kind of like chit chat and stuff. We've like had conversations about our families and his kids and stuff and like perfectly nice guy. I am a little bit bothered though, this whole like Russell Wilson is a square and he's not cool. Like, I don't know. Who was it? Was it DK Metcalf who was like, if it's square to like treat your wife well, then like let me be a square. And I don't know. He's probably doing something right that we're just not seeing to like be married to Sierra because she is really freaking cool. She uh, is number one draft pick of like wife hang in the NFL. Amazing points all around. Don't disagree with any of that. I, I remember it was the episode of 30 Rock where I think it was Frank Frank in the show was just like, you know, it's fun at parties. Tracy, like we don't when you want someone to get shit done, like you don't want somebody who's fun at parties. So I totally understand that the, the Russell Wilson babysitting your kids. Yeah. Thing. Can I say uh, one more thing about the let's ride? Somebody mentioned this to me. So Sierra has a song called Ride. And I was like, hmm, is there like some synergy here? I would say don't Google the lyrics to Ride on your work computer because I don't (laughs) think they're going to be able to play it at Mile High Stadium. But I want to see if there's I think she's putting out a new album soon if there's some sort of uh, trademarking going on fantastic branding going on from there uh a couple others that would be in contention for that uh carson wentz seems like a pretty tough hang (laughs) if you look at the last five years of carson wentz's career uh kirk cousins feels like a pretty tough hang so there are some definite contenders here i'm not just going to give the title to russell wilson yeah so let's let's go to the best hang category and i will say this is a little tricky for me now because i am 41 so yes like there's not a lot of these guys where I'd be like, yeah, I just want to like hang out with you. Like dudes I'd want to sit down and like watch film and talk football with probably a lot. Like I think it would, I think Justin Herbert would be like a, a good, like a fun guy to hang out with for a little while. But as like a 41 year old mother, I feel a little weird being like, let's just go have a beer with Justin Herbert. I had the exact same thought. So no beers for me anymore, but guys I'd like to like grab dinner with. Uh, Matt Ryan would probably be high on that list. I've enjoyed my conversations with yeah. Matt Ryan in the past. Matt Ryan's 36 years old. I will be 35 in a month. Like We're generally similar in age. I feel like we could have a good conversation. Joe Burrow seems like a good hang. Yeah. Just like, seems like just yeah. like a good good dude. Not re- I think I would enjoy his company, just kind of shooting the shit with him for a little bit. And the other person who, I don't know if he'd necessarily be like a fun hang, but someone who I've always appreciated things he's had to say, seems like a thoughtful guy. Dak would be the other one. Dak is just I Dak's opinions on a lot of things I, I seem to support. 
Yeah, I would say if we had gotten this question um, on June 27th, 2021, I probably would have said Aaron Rodgers. I'm probably not putting him at the top of my like dudes I'd want to hang out with. Um, and if we can include retired guys, and I know that um, part of the question was that we cannot include retired guys because obviously Ryan Fitzpatrick, like I would like to go watch a Bills game in the stands with Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> my, I would die. My liver would not be able to hang. Um, but I'd put Andrew Luck very high up yeah, on the top of that list. One. So a little synergy with the Zach Kiefer podcast that's coming up. But like, I think he would have been a really good I mean, not like we wouldn't be doing shots or like playing flip cup, but like in terms of a guy I'd want to have conversations with about like life and football and books and TV. Very, yeah, I think at this, at this stage in my life, like dinner companions, like you got a reservation for four. You know, you're trying to fill the seats. Which NFL quarterback would you want in one of those chairs? That's so who's your? How I would answer it. I'm totally now like hijacking this question, but but then like who would your flip cup team be? And I know you're not playing flip cup anymore. Uh, but, like, Josh Allen would be the number one pick, yeah, probably. Yeah, right. Flip cup team. Yeah. 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 If I was for like, quarter. yeah, if, if I were like looking for younger guys having to get probably after like it. probably Mahomes. Oh, I bet also I bet, I bet Mac Mac Jones can can put him back based on his uh, phys- his physique when he was at the University of Alabama. I'm assuming he was he was no stranger to a 30 pack of Natty Light down there. In um, and I will say, I think I would. I think like Lamar Jackson would be a fun hang. Too. Yes, like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. I'm not nearly cool enough. Like I don't think I would be able to like understand any of the like pop culture references for any of these guys who are like 25 or under. Um, but he seems really fun, and everybody loves him. So, I think it'd be fun to hang out with him. I, I think a brief. I think we moment. got a lot of guys in there. That was that was good. All right, next one here it says, "My name's Jack. I'm a Steelers fan. I've been listening to the podcast for about a year now. I just want to say I love what you guys do. You've helped me improve my football knowledge significantly, and I really appreciate. It. Of course, thank you for listening. This off season, we've been hearing a lot of well deserved praise for the Broncos' decision to trade for Russ. While I agree this is a great move, I'm not sold on the hype that's also being poured upon the Broncos' receiving core." I recognize all their guys have significant potential to do great things in their offense, especially under the new head coach. Additionally, the situation and quarterbacks they've been subjected to certainly haven't done them any favors. However, I still feel like it has to be accounted for. They haven't achieved a whole lot as a group or individually, at least from my perspective. Am I the idiot here who's going to end up being late to the party? Or is the car being put before the horse? Like, Listen to that. In terms of tangible stats and hype. Wanted to ask, this, wanted to ask, <laughs> wanted to ask this specifically when Lindsay was coming out of the podcast. Just he has such a great knowledge of the Broncos. How do you feel about this? I have thoughts. I, well, so I think it's. I mean, I think it's fair. I mean, right? Like, I you know, the uh, of the top three receivers: Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick. One Pro Bowl appearance. No consistent like back to back to back seasons of strong performances. Those sorts of things. Um, so a lot of it is based on potential. I think. Um, so I don't. I don't know. I mean, I. I think the group that he left in Seattle, Russell left in Seattle, a bit more proven, you know, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, um, you know, you kind of have seen the the evidence of success there. There's a lot to like about these guys, though. And uh, who was it? What's his name? Jack. Jack mentioned that the quarterbacks that these guys have played with, um, were, it was rough. It was really rough. So I think it is hard to give like a real accurate assessment of who any of these guys are as receivers. Because they went through a lot of shit at quarterback over the last few years, um, the offense, and and not just that the passers weren't great. It was that the entire offense for the last few years has been really poorly managed. Um, it's not receiver friendly at all. So, um, I don't know. You want to you want to give your scouting report or give your takes, and then I'll kind of maybe give a little more background into who some of these guys are. So here's my thing. 
it, it's impossible to overstate, even if you have questions about where Russell Wilson is at this point in his career, even if you have questions about how good these receivers are, going from some combination of Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater to even the 2022 version of Russell Wilson is a massive upgrade. To some of the examples recently, Cooper Cup went from a guy who like, oh, Cooper Cup's pretty good. You know, I, I think Cooper Cup is a really solid NFL player to being someone with Matthew Stafford after going playing with Jared Goff that almost broke every single receiving record that Calvin Johnson set in his season. When you have that changeover from having a pretty good receiver or a pretty good quarterback or even a very bad quarterback in the Broncos case to a really good quarterback, it is a titanic shift. So I would talk about the guys he had in Seattle. Yeah, the guys he had in Seattle were pretty good. Do you know what those guys put up the last year that Russell Wilson was healthy? They combined for 2,300 yards and 22 receiving touchdowns in 2020. Like when you have a real quarterback and you're yeah. a pretty good receiver, the numbers are probably going to come. And Cortland Sutton, I think there are real questions about what Jerry Judy's role is going to be, where Tim Patrick is going to line up, who's going to spend more time inside. We've seen Russell Wilson's heat maps. The ball never goes inside the numbers at any point in time. What does I Nate think, say? It's where tight ends go to die. That's exactly right. So the guys who are lined up in the slot in a non-vertical way, like let's say that's Tim Patrick's role within the offense, what role is that going to have? How much production is he going to have? For Corlin Sutton specifically, to me, there is not a lot of imagination necessary. Corlin Sutton is a vertical, outside-the-numbers receiver who's going to go get balls down the field. That is what Russell Wilson does. So I think he's gonna. we're going to see a version of him that we have never seen before. To me, the other guys, it's more about the role within the offense and what type of offense they end up using. I yeah. think we're going to see the best versions of those players in a pretty definitive way. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you want to know more about Cortland Sutton, go log into your Game Pass, go back and watch the 2019 film because it's really good. Um, with some bad quarterbacks. That was the like Joe Flacco, uh, Drew Locke rookie year. Not, I mean, not a lot of good quarterback play was happening, but Cortland Sutton, excuse me, was was really good that season. Um, and then he lost the entire 2020 season to a torn ACL in week one, um, which was really disappointing because he was like really hoping he could have, you know, if, if 2019 was like kind of a breakout season for him, yes, he was a pro bowler. I believe he got in as an alternate. Um, he was really ready to kind of like take that step on into like legit NFL stardom in 2020. And it didn't happen because of his ACL. Um, he's a guy who I remember his rookie year and we all kind of get caught up in this when you go to training camp and there's just the guys who just dominate training camp. And that was Cortland. He's set up to dominate training camp. Those like, like big physical guys they, in training camp, yeah, they can really I mean, stand out. It was, and, and you know, it was, it, it was really fun to watch. And I just remember getting like, Oh shit, this guy is really good. And the same thing happened with Jerry Judy during his rookie training camp um, in the 2020 season. And then for a lot of reasons, it just hasn't transpired yet for him. So I think of all of those guys, Jerry Judy is the guy who's under the most pressure. He had the highest draft status, the biggest expectations, and is probably the biggest gap between what he's done and what his expectations were at this point relative to what the Broncos need him to do. And then what kind of his peers have done. I mean, he's a guy who had this, had similar, you know, maybe I guess potential and draft status and stuff is Justin Jefferson and um, Justin Jefferson, CD lamb, all those guys yeah. in that draft. Yeah. Um, and it just, and it just hasn't happened. Um, so it's kind of getting, getting him to a place where he can be a legit number one receiver because he's extremely physically talented. Um, he can win at the line of scrimmage. He's a really excellent route runner. Um, good speed. The drops have been an issue for him. Um, and kind of like getting, I think, into the right headspace after mistakes 
has been an issue for him. So let's see what sort of like jolt of confidence playing in a new offense with a new quarterback is going to give him. Um, I would say Tim Patrick is the guy who like people just really don't know about outside of Denver. Um, what he brings to that group is not like he's a well-built, he's not like a small receiver. Like you look at him and you're like, yeah, that's an NFL player, but he's not like the fastest guy. He's not the strongest guy, but he catches literally everything. And he is the most dependable guy that they have. Um, he was such a third down weapon um, when you needed a first down. Like he was the guy and he is really, really tough. Like almost to a, almost to a fault. Like he's the guy who is going to play on or across that kind of physical line, most likely guy to either draw a personal foul or maybe get a personal foul himself. But the Broncos offense has needed that. They've needed somebody with like a little bit of nasty in in them. And, uh, and that's been Tim Patrick. So I'm kind of excited to see him. Like, you know, he kind of always played living like year to year. I mean, he was one of those guys who was practice squad, getting cut, never knew if he was going to make a team, if he was never had any sort of job security. So I'm kind of excited to see him now with a little bit more security and a little bit more defined role, even though we don't know exactly how they're going to use him. I think he'll be their slot guy. I, I think that if you look at what the the Packers have done over the last few years with having Lazard in that spot as often as they did and really wanting someone within that offense that is a little bit of a bigger body, because Colton Sutton's yeah. not going to be there, obviously. So Tim Patrick's 6'5", 6'5", yeah. 215. He's a big dude. So I, it's not necessarily – he played 200 steps in the slot last year. It's not like he's ever done it before. And I just think in this offense within this system, that would be my guess is that they'll have everybody line up everywhere, but I would not be surprised at all if he led the team in slot snaps at the end of the season. Yeah, I wouldn't be like racing out to draft him on my fantasy team, but he might get a lot of targets and uh, he'll probably draw a lot of like holding calls in the middle of the field if, if Russell decides to throw that way. Yeah, that, that's the big question there. All right. Or just holding here. calls away from the play because God knows that happens a lot. Nathaniel Bernard says, throughout the offseason shows, a lot has been made about the amount of projected cap space some teams will have next year. Giants, Bears, Falcons, to name a few. But as we've seen this year, some teams bulk or bulky, haha, at the opportunity to use it wisely. All this being said, who's your way too early favorite free agent to a lower tier team match? And bonus question, who do you think would be the biggest in-season trade candidate that could shift the playoff race? I know plenty can change with extensions, but hey, it's June and the NFL hasn't done anything crazy in a week. Love that. Love that. It's a, it's an insane thing to talk about right now. Like team free agent. Who's getting pairings. traded in November? Ne- well, that, I, that yeah. I think we can maybe guess. But the who is signing who next spring uh, is totally batshit insane. So let's do it. Uh, my favorite one by far. Uh, let's do the Homer pick here. But the Bears are going to have like $90 million in cap space next year. Elton Jenkins going to the Bears. Okay. Packers yeah. are seven million dollars over the cap. I don't, I don't want to sign somebody to like a top of market, even though he might make a top of market deal. But I don't want to go crazy with like outlandish contracts with guys. That's always dangerous to me. But I think Elton Jenkins, uh, the Packers may very, may very well want him back. I would if I were Green Bay. But they're seven million dollars over the cap next year. They have signed a lot of guys to big money extensions. Can they afford another one? I think is a reasonable question. And I think he's somebody that would do very well in a rebuilding offense just as a centerpiece. So Elton Jenkins going to the Bears, he could go to Atlanta too. Whatever team needs him, all of those teams that have a lot of cap space are going to need help on the interior of the offensive line. The Bears have the most money, so that's the one I went with. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's fair too. Um, my options were some receivers because I look at this as like, who is next year's Christian Kirk? Um, so I, I, I'm looking at like potential free agents for next year. 
Uh, Terry McLaurin, I hope he gets like a boatload of cash from wherever he goes. Atlanta, uh, I don't know. And then my other guy was DJ Shark, who deserves every bit of a Christian Kirk deal for what he has already lived through. And if he can like have a contract worthy season in Detroit this year, playing in what is probably not going to be that great of an offense with Jared Goff, um, if he can put up decent numbers there, I hope somebody like, I don't know, the Arizona Cardinals who didn't pay Christian Kirk that money, but I think are going to kind of be into it. They could, they're a team that I could see moving into that like desperation mode next year. Um, maybe overpaying for a wide receiver and needing to overhaul that group. A lot of the wide receivers that are going to be free agents next year, we talked about them on our like potential move show that I did with Nate last week. Um, they're guys that potentially, if things go a certain way for some of these teams, could they be moved as sure, pre-deadline yeah. chips? So Deontay Johnson, DK Metcalf, if the Seahawks are really bad and they don't want to keep him long-term. Those are a couple of guys I would throw out. Deron Payne was another one of those guys. You know, if the Washington isn't planning on paying him, is a team more inclined to trade for him midseason when they don't have to give him $8 million of, of base salary? Uh, Marcus Peters is the other one mm-hmm. that I had. Uh, the, I think the Ravens are going to be good. I don't think the Ravens are going to be incentivized to trade him in the middle of the year. But let's just say in this hypothetical world, the Ravens season is a little bit disappointing. They're not really in contention. He's 30 years old. He's hitting free agency next year. Is he like that last piece? And I also think the other reason that was on my mind, the Ravens are an active team. You know, the yeah. Ravens are the sort of team that makes moves in that vein. So that was and Marcus just the Peters has been traded on. like 16 times already. Like th- that's probably why he's at front of mind in a conversation like this. Yeah. So the other, the other um, two names I threw out there just basically to make a joke. Um, and I think I may have already done it on the spot. I'm not sure. Uh, Melvin Ingram to get traded at midseason. Back to the Chiefs. He's playing a long game here. <laughs> um, he went and got paid, and now he's going to uh, get traded back at midseason. Um, and then Yannick Ngakwe, because he also gets traded all of the time. Devin Clowney is, is, uh, is somebody yeah, that maybe he gets dealt, dealt midseason. He's on in a contract year. The other two guys I was looking at, um, I don't know exactly what the financial implications of this would be because they've done so many wonky things with their deals to free up money. Let's just say the Eagles are out of it before the end of the season. They're not a huge playoff team. Do Does a guy like Fletcher Cox or Brandon Graham get traded? If they show they still have something in the tank, you know, they're near the end, 32, 33 years old. They don't have huge uh, contract numbers this year. A team would be able to easily absorb them. Are those a couple guys that, in theory, could be on the move, depending on how things go? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get to our next one here. This one's from Mason Herman. He said he was going to save this question for you when you were on, so he actually resent it this week, which I really appreciate. He said, what do I do as a Browns fan? So I see three options. Jump ship to another team, stop watching the NFL, continue to root for the Browns, but just feel icky about it. I'm a lifelong 35 years old fan of all Cleveland sports, so jumping ship isn't going to happen. I'm writing into an NFL podcast in June, so not paying attention to the NFL <laughs> isn't realistic. So is number three my only option? This is a really delicate subject. Again, very far down. What really matters is it comes to the Deshaun Watson situation. But I think a very real thing that people that root for the Browns and that would have rooted for any team that he landed with or other players uh, land on have to deal with consistently as you follow the sport and you want to root for one specific team. So I have my thoughts about this. What would you say to Mason here as he kind of sorts through this? Yeah, I would say that there's a fourth option. Um, and I may have mentioned it. It was, we've talked to other, other, <laughs> about other people who are maybe wanted to switch allegiances at some point. The other option is that you don't have to pick a new team. You can just become like a f- football watcher and just go all in on gambling and fantasy football and enjoy watching, watching red zone. Um, but you don't have to like go all in on one specific team. Um, I think that's a way that you can still enjoy watching games. Your Sundays could be really fun watching red zone, going to sports bars, but you don't have to have that immediate. Okay. I have to pick a new team, uh, feeling where you have to have a hundred percent rooting interest. So I don't think it's quite as black and white, but I also would say that you are not alone here. I have heard from... That's why I wanted to answer this. Yeah. I mean, I've heard from many, many people in, you know, direct channels, like in my Twitter mentions and emails um, from friends, you know, personal, like personal friends who live in the Cleveland area. Um, And I actually went on a podcast a couple weeks ago um, with a podcaster in Cleveland who has decided that he's no longer going to root for the Browns and he can't do it. And we kind of, it was kind of like a therapy session, like talking through giving up his, his Browns fandom, you know, same, very similar thing, you know, lifelong grew up in Ohio, um, you know, 30 plus years or whatever. Um, And Joe Posnaski, you know, like legendary sports writer uh, used to write for the athletic. He's got a sub stack. Now he actually posted a blog, I believe, today kind of updating his quest to find a new team because now after everything this is what has made him abound- abandon the Browns and he's trying to figure out which team he's now going to root for and I think he has it down to four uh, four options so you're you're not alone here and I think this is really understandable because you can forgive a lot of things I think but the way that the Browns went about this like from the beginning has been really you know, really gross. And it's only gotten worse over the last few months. I mean, there was a lot, you know, I wrote this in March, you know, and I think I stand by everything that I've written when it, in regards to Deshaun Watson and certainly what I wrote on the day that he was traded to Cleveland. Um, I think it was pretty clear to me, pretty clear to a lot of people, I think that the Browns just, they, they made strictly a, we want to win decision and they were okay, you know, kind of selling part of their souls or all of their souls here. Um, to bring in a guy who had very questionable character, who was um, at worst a sexual predator and at best probably just a creep. And uh, they were okay with that. They were okay saying this is going to be the guy that we're going to pay $230 million and we're going to build our team around. And 
you know, I, I, I respect the, the, the fans who are saying, seeing through this and saying, no, we're not, I'm not okay with this um, because that is a really hard decision. And we've seen fans turn a blind eye to so many things for years and years and years and years in all of professional sports. I think all of us have made excuses for teams that we, that we root for players that we care about. Um, and, but there just seems to be something different for generations worth of Browns fans now that just said, this is, this is not okay with me. This is not, this is not okay. Um, so I guess, you know, <laughs> this is all a long way of saying, what is that, what is that option? What's the best option? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that you're going to keep watching the NFL, right? Um, I would say go with option four, my, my fourth option right now, at least for 2022. Like remove yourself from the Browns fandom and take your time deciding what you want to do beyond that. And if there's another team that you want to root for, if you want to become a degenerate gambler and listen to the Nate and Shield show on Fridays and just fade their picks, you want to fade Lena's picks, more, more power to you. Or, you know, survivor pools are really fun. Um, fantasy football is really fun. Like, I think you can just, you can really enjoy the sport and like you can pick players that you like without having to, you know, tie yourself to some of the mess of, you know, the, the dirty underbelly. I would say, but if you do want to pick a new team, don't, don't pick the Washington commanders. Stay, stay away from that for right now. But I would say the other like 30 teams are probably fair game. That, that, that's probably arguable. <laughs> I'm sure you could find a couple more that are just objectionable yeah, right from the start. Yeah, uh, there's probably fair. a list of like 25 teams. Maybe if you got started, that, that would be fine. I, the way that I would go about this, I don't know the way I would go about this, the way that I, I, what I would say about this, why do you like the NFL? Why are you a Browns fan? And I think that that would be a consideration as you try to make this decision. You know, if, is your Browns fandom derived from a relationship you had with like your dad? Like mine was with bears. Like I don't, I probably wouldn't root for the bears anymore if it wasn't driven from something that when I was growing up, it was a, it was common ground when, when I had a relationship with my dad that was complicated at times and I was a shithead teenager at times. And it was nice where we could just kind of sit there after a Bears game and we could talk about something. And I understand that. And if it's familial, then it becomes even more complicated. If it's a sense of community, like you love, you have a group of fans or friends that are Browns fans. It's what you guys do on Sunday. It's how you hang out. It's how you spend time. That makes it really difficult. You know, that's just not rooting for laundry because you grew up in a certain place. If that's what it is, if you just grew up near Cleveland and, you know, you don't really have that many bonds associated with the Browns and it's just a matter of geography, then I would start over somewhere. I would try to find another reason to root for a team. But if it is that first thing and you feel like it's a complicated, tied in thing with so many people in your life, I would play out the string. Think about what would happen if the Browns won the Super Bowl, right? And you're sitting there and you watch Deshaun Watson get that trophy. And he's up there with the owners. How do you feel about that? Do you feel good about that? Is it an experience you enjoyed? Do you feel like it was worth the time and emotional energy you put into it? Only you can answer that. But that's how I would approach it if it felt like I was kind of inextricably linked from my Browns fandom. If there isn't this thing tying you to it where it's something you get a lot of pleasure and joy out of every single week because of who you experience it with and you just like watching the NFL because you like watching the NFL, I would do what Lindsay's suggesting. I would take a step back for a year, understand I like the sport, I like the machinations of it, I like the way that it works, I like watching the younger players in the league, I find them exciting, and just sit there for a second and try to figure it out. You know, you don't have to make a decision right now about this. 
And there's plenty of time. And like Lindsay alluded to, I think all, all of us who are sports fans have run into some version of this at some point in our lives. And when the Cubs traded for Araldis Chapman in 2016, it, it didn't make me feel good. And when I would go to Cubs games and he'd come in in the ninth inning and people would stand up and cheer and it made me uncomfortable and I chose not to. I would sit there and be quiet. I don't think I hold some moral high ground because of that, but we've all had to make these moral hedges at one point or another, most likely as part of our sports fandom. It's really, really difficult to do that when he's the quarterback of the team. It's, you know, Kareem Hunt is on the Browns. We've mentioned that before. I'm sure some people, not a lot of people, like I'm not no longer going to be a Browns fan, but this is different. It's just yeah. different in so many different ways. And I think it's really, really hard to hold on to that if this is something that justifiably makes you feel pretty gross. Yeah. And I would say you don't have to like, I hope this doesn't taint your like decades of like good memories. And look, the Browns yes. probably haven't given you like a ton of really good memories over the years other than those times tailgating the Muni lot with your whole family or with your college buddies, like those days really, really fun. And what's happened over the last few months and all the complicated feelings that you have now shouldn't um, take away any of that stuff. Maybe you could have a little like mind eraser for like the Johnny Manziel era and that would be fine. Um, you know, if you don't want to wear your stuff out, but like if you still like love Miles Garrett, like you can still be a Miles Garrett fan, right? Like if you love yeah. Wyatt Teller, like you can still be a Wyatt Teller fan and like support that guy and like cheer for that guy's success um, without, you know, blindly like supporting everything that the rest of the organization does. I think that's totally fair. All right. Let's get to our next one here. Sam Parsons says, with Lindsay joining you in the mailbag and her experience as a voter for NFL honors, I wanted to ask a philosophical question about the MVP award. It's obviously a QB driven award and always has been. Of 66 winners of the AP MVP, including co-winners, 45 have been quarterbacks. But it being more QB exclusive award is actually a more recent development. As 14 of the last 15 winners have been quarterbacks compared to only 31 of the first 51 winners. In the first 50 years of voting, there were 17 running backs to win, two defense players, and a kicker. We wrote about that at Grantland back in the day. So running back was a legitimate second option and the default one at that. As the position has seen a decrease in perceived value compared to quarterbacks, they've generally fallen out of contention for the award. And no other position has really filled the void. It's just become a quarterback award. Anyway, with all this in mind, I'd like to hear your thoughts on these questions. Do you think the MVP award should be a QB exclusive award due to positional value. If it shouldn't be, do you think running back should be the default second choice that was in the past or should it be open to all positions? With last year being a down year for quarterbacks, were there any other non-QBs you would have enthusiastically voted for if the award were open to all positions? I, so, but just very quickly, I think the MVP award should exist. I think it should be open to all players. I think at this day and age, a quarterback is going to win. And, so my answer to this is we should have more awards for <laughs> yeah. different yeah. positions and different players. Like my solution to this was always, I want a most outstanding player yeah. award. Yep. Like the most valuable player, it's a, it is unfortunately named, the most valuable player in football in 2022 is going to be a quarterback by the way the game is played. I would love that there was a most outstanding player award. There was like a Heisman trophy for the NFL where like the best player in the NFL was awarded this trophy value be damned. And Aaron Donald would have won it for like the last five years. Yeah. Like that. I think there should be something like that. The offensive player of the year should not be a quarterback. Yeah. Like that is dumb. 
in my opinion. Like, yeah. And that's one that like the voting is always really weird where there's people who, and I don't usually do this. Um, but there's people who say like their ballot last year was like most valuable player, Aaron Rodgers, offensive player of the year, Aaron Rodgers, because Aaron Rodgers is an offensive player. And so if you're picking him as the MVP, then is the best player, then he needs to be the best offensive player. I don't usually do that. I kind of make it like the best offensive player who isn't the quarterback that I voted for um, as the MVP. Um, I will say to answer the first question, um, I don't think it should be a QB QB award, but because as you mentioned, the way it's named and the way that the league has changed to be such a QB driven league, it is going to be. I have in the past voted for non-QBs for that award. Um, I voted for J.J. Watt a number of years ago. I believe it was the 2014 season. It was 2012 or 2014. Where so it was 2014. Seasons. I was not a voter in 2012, um, but I voted for him in 2014. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I either voted for or very strongly considered Todd Gurley a, another year when um, he this was like the, the most outstanding player argument. Like, yeah, it, you're doing that because you want to make a point about who you thought was the best player yeah. in the NFL that year. And I remember you know the 20 logically it is not he is not the most valuable player. Yeah. And the so the 2014 year with JJ Watt, I believe it was my first year as a voter and I remember sending in my ballot and being like, "Oh my god, I hope I'm not a news story." Because it gets published yeah. like what the what the votes are and I was like, "If it is 49 to 1, it's going to be a story who the one was." Well, Rodgers won the MVP up, that year, right? Rodgers had a pretty uh, good year. Yeah, Rogers had a really good year, but I was just so like I just was so in awe of everything that JJ Watt did, and he was the guy who week after week after week was the best player in the NFL. Um, even if uh, you know, and and a little bit of it was like I think he probably deserved it, or at least deserved more consideration in 2012. Um, that was the Peyton Manning, Adrian Peterson year. Um, so, but I was like, I think there ended up being like eight of us or something that voted for JJ Watt. So like it wasn't a big deal that like. You know, it wasn't the Bobby Wagner one vote <laughs> that, that season when uh, Tony Dungy voted for Bobby Wagner for MVP. Um, so I don't think it should, but it is. And we just kind of have to come to grips with that. The second part of that question, if running back should be the default second option, absolutely not. I think no. the NFL has changed in a million ways that outside of and, and now with 17 games, the, the benchmarks are going to change. But outside of like the most historic like a running back season that we can't even fathom. Like something Adrian that's so... Peterson's 2012 season, when he rushed for 2,000 yards, the Vikings offense outside of that was full of people who couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> and he willed them to the playoffs. Like I can understand making an argument for that. That was 10 years ago. Yeah. There is almost no world I know, in I, which that would possibly happen anymore. I can't even fathom. I'm trying to think of like what would have to happen from a, for a running back to overtake the best quarterback or the best pass rusher, or the best wide receiver season to even be worthy of it. And I just, I mean, people tried to make like the Jonathan Taylor. RB well, that was what I was going to say is the Colts would have had to win like 13 games this year. And Jonathan Taylor would have had to rush for 2,500 yards. Yeah. And even even then, I probably still would have voted for Aaron Rodgers. I don't I, you know, I don't know. I just think like positional value of running back is is just it's just not there anymore. So it's driven me crazy with like fantasy football for 
10 years about how much value is placed on running backs as opposed to other positions. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think running back would be the the default second choice. Like it might not defensive even be. Defensive lineman probably, right? Like I think a defensive lineman would probably be. Yeah, I was going to say there. running back would probably not even be like top five for me anymore. It would be, it would be pass rusher, receiver, maybe a corner defensive back. Corner Corner's so hard just because there's no production for corners. You could be a really, really good corner. Yeah. Good production. So, but like in terms of like the best player, but I just think it's going to be so rare that the best player in the, the field for an entire season is going to be a running back. Um, and so then I guess the third part of that last year, down year for QBs, any other non QB, can we link in the show notes to our MVP our, our uh, the MVP argument for uh, Cooper cup? Because he would have been the one, um, outside of Aaron Donald, because I think Aaron Donald, like every year you ha- would have yeah. to give really serious consideration, but last year specific to what Cooper cup did, uh, throughout the duration of those 17 games and then continue to do throughout the playoffs, even though, you know, we don't get to take playoffs in consideration ballots are due, I believe the Tuesday after the end of the regular season. Um, but Cooper cup would have been the other one last year that I would have, um, outside of best player on the planet on every single day, Aaron, uh, Aaron Donald. There should also be a best offensive lineman award because an offensive lineman is never going to win any of the other awards. Yeah. Like going, Although, last season, Trent Williams should have won something beyond being first team all pro. Like he should have a trophy somewhere for the way that he played. Defensive lineman, you could be yeah, a like Joe Thomas here. doesn't have any awards. Yes. Joe you Thomas, know? the exact other person I was thinking about. Like Joe Thomas should be recognized every single year for who Joe Thomas was in the NFL. So those are those are like the my two things. I think there's the hardest player part and a the hardest part with the lineman award and as much as people want to criticize voters like me for like oh you don't play or you don't know whatever if we were specifically picking offensive linemen it would have been it would be even harder because i think the uh to to really know like the intricacies of offensive linemen line play is really hard like when i'm voting for my all pro when i'm setting my all pro ballot i'm talking to a lot of offensive linemen i'm making a lot of calls about like okay who's actually good here like to not just go along with the, okay, well, here's the guys that got Pro Bowl votes. Like, I'm talking to, like, offensive line experts that I that I respect. Uh, I will say I don't think all voters are doing that. I don't think all voters are doing that either. The the entry into that, you should have to take a test before getting to vote for the best offensive line award. See, I would probably – I might even fail that test, but, but I'm really good at calling other people. people. Yeah, I'm really good at calling people who know a lot and asking good questions about – Open uh, note to test. Get those open note, open phone <laughs> okay, call good. test yeah. that you can take, but you still should have to take a test. All right. I want to know you can, because I'm not like an expert, but I can get the information from people. And I think that's a huge part of it. Very quickly. Dennis Hadjdorn says, I love your, I really love your show. Helps me keep up with the NFL here in Switzerland. I've become a big Chargers fan. I'm loving the direction the team is going right now. Here's my question about it. I've seen people talk about how the Chargers went all in with the Khalil Mack trade and the JC Jackson signing. But looking at the rest of the division, it seems like the Chargers are less all in than the Broncos and Raiders, considering we still have all of our first round picks. Am I missing something here? I know the Chargers are slightly over the projected cap next year. Is it just that? Thanks for answering my question and always being extremely pro Rivers and Herbert. I have no worries. I got you there. I think that's part of it is that the Bron- or the Chargers had the most cap space in the league coming into this spring. They are 26th next year. like, And they're 10th in cash spending. This is not a team that typically throws a lot of money around. If there was going to be an offseason where they really went for it, this seemed like the offseason. They're $13 million over the projected 2023 cap. So there isn't a lot of splashy moves likely coming for them down the road. They still have all of their assets, which is great that you didn't have to trade away any big picks next year and you'll still be able to have your full arsenal as you try to improve your team. But 
I do think that their big moves probably happen this offseason, and that's okay. The timeline that they're on, they should have happened this offseason. Well, I think... I think my answer to Dennis would be partially just in the phrasing of it. So the idea of like degrees of all inness, yeah, um, that implies gambling and risk. Uh, how, what your level of risk is, and I think the Broncos and the Raiders have assumed a lot more risk because they have given up a lot more. So there's much that idea. You know, you're picturing the poker table and you're saying, "I'm all in. I'm pushing all of this stuff here." The Chargers have built this much more, I guess, probably responsibly. Yes, they've spent a lot of money, but they have been able to do this because they have a quarterback on his rookie contract. So they haven't had to make that huge move to you know, give up a lot of capital to get a quarterback or a wide receiver. Um, they have built this in a little bit more of a traditional way. I don't think it means that they're any less serious of a contender. If anything, they're probably, uh, probably should be considered a better contender than those other teams. They just haven't gambled as much to get there. Yeah, this is more traditional all-in, where you're just making sure that you're giving yourself every single chance you can to win. You're spending to the cap. I mean, this is there's nothing wrong with it. I yeah, there's like that- nothing irresponsible about like the Khalil Mack, the Khalil Mack trade, or you know, paying J.C. Jackson. Like, I don't, I don't think there was any like, oh my god, I can't believe what the Chargers are doing. Tom Telesco is, you know, all in. Like, no, he's just like responsibly building his roster and looking at what Brandon Staley needs and the type of players that he needs on defense and going out and getting the best ones for the the best, you know, even if it's a top of the market deal, like spending what it's taking, what it's going to take to get there. Last one here is from Sid. His question is about the 2007 draft class. Sid, as you know, as Lee and Lindsay know, the first round of that draft featured many players selected at one point in their careers were considered the top of their positions. Calvin Johnson, Adrian Peterson, Patrick Willis, Joe Thomas, Darrell Rivas, as well as Joe Staley and Marshawn Lynch, both of who are on the all-decade team. I noticed that you did not mention Marshall Yanda in your question, Sid, which I think is bullshit, and I just want you to know <laughs> that. Now that we have all these guys' careers played out, who do you think the Raiders should have selected number one overall? I expanded this question because I think the answer is obvious, and I wanted to talk about this group of players a little bit more. I think it's Calvin Johnson. I don't really think it's a question, right? Yeah, I, th- I think it's Calvin Johnson, although I think you could make a really strong Joe Thomas I think so too. As well. I just think that when you you see Calvin Johnson, it's just like that is a once in a lifetime human being. I'm going yeah. to take him with the first overall pick. Even I there's no one loves Joe Thomas more than me, but I still think like Joe Calvin Johnson is Calvin Johnson. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. So, if I was doing a top 10. So, are we going to redraft this the the top 10 here? I'm going to do it. I I okay. I, I, I list okay. them off. Now I now I'm thinking maybe Joe Thomas should be the answer. Joe Thomas played. Calvin Joe Johnson, was, first ballot Hall of Famer. You're fine. You're fine. I think you can make an argument. He would have looked really cool in black and silver. Oh, he absolutely would have. He absolutely would. He would look cool in anything. Calvin Johnson would look cool in any uniform. So Calvin Johnson and Joe Thomas are my first two. I, I think that is unquestionably rock solid. Can you remind people the what the top 10 is? Like, So then who would have gone where? So Joe Calvin Thomas. Johnson would have gone to the Raiders. Joe Thomas went to would have gone to the Lions. I... I did not look at who was on these teams. It's just like the order I, w- I would draft yeah. them in. Darrell Revis, I had number three, which would be to the Browns. Darrell Revis's peak is wild. He was so, so valuable when he was at his best. Yeah. So even if he doesn't have quite as many years of production as the other guys on this list, I just think that 
he was the best defensive player in the league for like multiple years. Even later in his career, that year he had New England, he was incredible. Like how you can weaponize Darrell Rivas, he would be number three for me. Number four, because I have to protect the brand here at all costs, Marshall Yanda is number four. Marshall Yanda is the best guard of his generation. He was an incredible player for a decade in the NFL. He played multiple positions. He's like a franchise-defining ass kicker. Uh, Marshall Yanda is number four for me. And the, the, one of the reasons is it's the length that he played, too, compared to some of these other guys. Adrian Peterson is five. If we're going back and doing this in 2007, kind of like we mentioned with the Adrian Peterson Hall of Fame season in 2012, in 2007, you could be the best player on the field and be a running back. Like, it's still like the last gasp of that sort of way to win in the NFL. It was like 15 years ago. So Peterson would be five. Patrick Willis, six. We had a large Patrick Willis conversation during the Hall Very Good last week. Uh, just the amount of years he played is the only reason he's this far down. I had Joe Staley at seven. Joe Staley was like a really, really mm-hmm. good left tackle for a decade. He like a really, really good player. I think underrated because he came into the league the same year that Joe Thomas did. They share a name, all of that kind of stuff. It's incredibly hard to find players like Joe Staley. I had Weddle at eight. Just really good for a very long time. Uh, I mean, Eric Weddle was an awesome player. Marshawn Lynch is nine. This is a running back thing more than anything else. Marshawn Lynch was very, very good. I love Marshawn Lynch. And I had Greg Olson at 10. The fact that those 10 players are in the same draft, and there are more, like there are other guys you could make an argument for, is crazy. It was one of the best draft classes of all time. So I'm just going to like recap real quick. The guys who now have been bumped out. <laughs> like that is a really strong 10. Jamarcus Russell, Gaines Adams, Levi Brown, LaRon Landry, Jamal Anderson, Ted Ginn Jr. and Amobi Okoye were the other top 10 picks that were all drafted by teams instead of those guys that we uh, just talked about. Other guys in that first round. Lawrence Timmons. Good Reggie player. Nelson was a good player for multiple years. John Beeson, Anthony Spencer, Ben Grubbs. A little bit further down, Ryan Khalil was in that draft. There was really good players like, in the first couple rounds of that draft. So... That not was a great not quarterback easy. draft, but not a great quarterback draft. But those were that that would be my top ten if I were redoing. Well, I'm looking forward to. I mean, a couple of these guys are going to be coming up for Hall of Fame consideration uh, this year. Joe Thomas, Darrell Rivas, first year eligible guys, um, and Patrick Willis will be. Uh, I expect he'll be a finalist once again. So a lot of there's going to be a lot of discussion about um, about these 07 guys. Do you think Darrell Rivas is a Hall of Famer? I think so. I don't know if he'll get in this year. Um, I think he is too. I don't have a, I don't have a good enough sense of like who gets in on a first ballot right now. And I, I, I certainly don't after the way that conversations went last year, because I was pretty sure that DeMarcus Ware was a first ballot hall of famer and he was not. Um, but I do, I do think he is. And when we're talking about like defining players of your generation and were you the best player or position for a sustained stretch of time, Darrell Rivas absolutely was so um i do i do think he's a hall of famer i i do too four-time all pro all decade team never won defensive he player had, of the year he had an island named after him <laughs> on that note uh i'm gonna miss you man i can't I, believe I, it we went long today just because i was like let's just let's just keep it going i know i know i'm gonna miss you i really really appreciate everything you put into this and i know that everyone who's listening and has listened feels the exact same way so thank you for everything you've contributed to the show and for really helping us get off the ground and helping make it what it is. And it will not be the same without you. And, and I hope you know that. And I hope that everyone else knows that. So 
please say your nice goodbyes to Lindsay, even though she's not really going anywhere. <laughs> But she will not be here as often as we would like anymore. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been um, it's been an honor. It's been one of my favorite parts of my job over the last couple of years is the uh, couple hours that we spend here. And also to Kent and Marissa, producers extraordinaire, so the whole audio team at The Athletic and really everybody at The Athletic. And honestly, um, I haven't told everybody yet. So this might be um, a bunch of our coworkers finding out that I'm leaving at the end of the week. So um, to you guys, I love you. And um, I'll keep you posted. Uh, text me. We'll, we'll talk. <laughs> But thank you guys so much. And starting after 4th of July, I'll be able to talk a little bit more about where you guys can find me. But well, that's it. I don't know. I'm sad. I'm not going to cry. Okay. All right. It's time to get to our conversation with Zach Kiefer, which I am excited about. And I hope you guys are excited about it too. Let's get to our I'm so I'm so pumped for Zach's podcast. It's going to be awesome. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, it's time now to welcome one of our Colts writers at The Athletic, one of my favorite folks covering the NFL over here, Zach Kiefer. Zach, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Probably better than you are at this point. Getting to the end of this project, I'm sure, has been a an arduous process on your end. It's late June, right? That's like when I'm supposed to be taking time off. Exactly. And enjoying summer and getting some rest before training camp. But... We've been on this for five months. I want to do it right. I want to finish it right. And we are in the final 100 meters of this long, long race. So I was first told about this probably right at the beginning of that five-month process. You know, the idea was floated out by some of our narrative staff and just you guys of how the sausage is made. It was kind of like, man, yeah, Zach might go chase this. And I was like, hell yeah. Like, uh, it sounds fantastic. Like, I would love to have that in the feed. I would love to have that as part of what we're trying to do here as we try to dip our toe into more storytelling. So I understand why I was excited about it because you know your work covering that team, you were the perfect person to do this and I, I know that you've done a great job. Why did you want to do this? Why on top of everything else that you were doing, did you want to kind of tackle this story in this way? One, I love the narrative podcast format. I love the idea of telling a story that way with the interviews speaking for themselves and I was hesitant at first to do it from a first person, but then I thought about it and I lived this. Like I yeah, literally exactly. lived this. And and I think and Andrew didn't Andrew Luck didn't get close to any reporter specifically, but as as much as anybody knew him, I knew him. And and I needed some time to get away from it, right? Like 2019, 2020, we still talked about it so much in Indianapolis. Everywhere I went, I was asked, is he gonna come back? Do you talk to him? Where is he at? And I needed some time away from it. But as the Colts roll through all these quarterbacks, right, like Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, now it's Matt Ryan, he's still very prevalent. The idea of Andrew Luck is still prevalent in this city. The specter of him hangs over everything still. Absolutely. Even in, in a way, I'm sure everyone in that building would love for it not to anymore. You know how old he is right now? He's, he's my age, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and not to spill anything, but I actually did get to catch up with Andrew Luck in person. I found him about a month or two ago and and it was good to see him it was good to catch up he wanted the the court the conversation to be off the record but um you know they came to me they came to me with this idea and i said 
enough time has passed. And frankly, I feel like it's one of the most unique stories we've had in the NFL in the last 25 years for a lot of reasons. The hype, the expectations, the delivery of those expectations, how to build around a franchise quarterback, what happened at the end. It, it, it seems like fiction. It, it, it just, it's so strange. Like, how do you answer that question? What happened? Like you go back to the night he retired, how did we get here? And that's the question we try to answer. I talked to you for the show why you had needed my perspective or cared about it. I still am not exactly sure. But in going through some of that, I went back and was reading some things about him and just going back and thinking about my own experience with him. Because if you covered the league during the time that he was either coming up or when he got into the NFL, obviously he was such a prominent figure. And I, I went to Stanford when I was at Grantland and I saw them play against Oregon and just what he was as a college player and his standing as a college prospect was obviously unlike anybody we'd seen in a really, really long time. And it's a huge part of the story. And he was so intertwined to the way that we talked and thought about the league that when I was doing the research before you and I chatted, I saw a headline and I clicked on it. It was something I wrote and <laughs> I totally forgot that I had written it. But when you were around the NFL and thinking about the NFL every single day in 2012, 13, 14, 15, the way that you and I both were, it was impossible, even someone covering from a national perspective, to not chew on the idea of Andrew Luck constantly. Because what he represented was almost as important, as relevant, as meaningful to what his play was on the field. And I'm sure you had to dig in to all of that. It wasn't just Andrew Luck, the person. It was Andrew Luck, the idea. Andrew Luck, the football player. Andrew Luck, the promise. All of those different things that encapsulate why his standing in the NFL was much, much different than really any other quarterback to come along in the last couple decades. That's why this is so unique and this story is so interesting to me. I mean, we have conversations with Daniel Jeremiah and he's been, you know, he's worked for three front offices and he's been the lead analyst for NFL Network for a long time now. And he said no one's ceiling was closer to its floor. He's like, worst case, Andrew Luck was a multi-year pro bowler. Worst case. Yeah. Best case, what we thought was Hall of Fame. And then you talk to some of his teammates, guys who were in the league when Luck was coming out. And usually current players don't like to heap praise on rookies and guys that are coming out. And one guy told me, like, we're talking LeBron type hype. LeBron-type hype for a quarterback coming out who played for a bad team as a rookie and led him to 11 wins, seven come from behind, fourth quarter victories, all that stuff. But like you said, I went back and read your story as well. And who did you talk to for your story? I mean, you interviewed his favorite professor, a professor yeah. of architecture, <laughs> which kind of gets woven into this story about why he was so different. And that is sort of the heart and the backbone of the story is why does this guy walk away from football at 29? because he was different from the start. And if you think you know the Andrew Luck story, and I thought I did, there was a lot that I learned in this process that really opened my eyes, going back especially to his Stanford days. So that was going to be my next question. I'm sure you come in with a lot of preconceived notions and a lot of things you probably believe. Oh, I know this already. What was to you the either belief or a bit of conventional wisdom or assumption that you brought into the process that was challenged the most? Well, we'll start at Stanford, and this was fun because I had a really, really good conversation with David Shaw. They didn't know what he was coming in. They really didn't, which I thought they did. And, you know, his high school tape is great, but everybody has great high school tape. And Harbaugh <laughs> was recruiting RG3 really hard. 
And RG3 was like, well, what about this guy from, from Houston who just signed? And he was like, oh, that's that Andrew Luck kid. We like him, but you're our guy. RG3 obviously goes to Baylor. They that's incredible. The Heisman. And they didn't know that Luck was going to be the guy right away. And he comes in and there's this camp with five or six different quarterbacks and they're all competing. They don't know if they're going to offer a scholarship to this kid, let, like, let alone the guy who's going to transform their program. And Luck just, just wowed them. And some of the stories he told about his reaction, about Harbaugh's reaction, really blew me away. And there's also stories that counter that in terms of like, he was such a normal kid and he would literally talk about soccer for 20 minutes before practice started at Stanford. And oh, by the way, he's the best college football player in the country. So there was a lot of that that sort of peeled back the curtain on what he was like early when he was a little bit more innocent. And then I learned a lot in Indianapolis from, from people around him because Andrew wouldn't say anything. He doesn't like people talking about him, but teammates, behind closed doors and coaches and his people at Stanford that he was still close with. I asked them, you know, point blank. I said, Coach Shaw, did, did you think the Colts protected him the right way? And there was four minutes, four seconds of silence. And then he says, that's the most loaded question I've ever been asked in my career. <laughs> and then he said, I'm going to answer it. So I got more truth than I thought I ever had in terms of the Andrew Luck story. People were more open and honest and candid this time. And I think that was important. And, um, you know, as much as he wants to protect that story, I think the layers are being revealed a little bit more. And like I said, I thought I knew everything and I wasn't even close. Uh, when you walk into this, though, even if there are people willing to talk, even if you feel like there's going to be a little bit more openness because there's some distance, some time has passed, there's always going to be that one hang up or one snag when you're taking on a project like this. Outside of not talking to him on the record, what was the biggest challenge as you tried to wrap your arms around something this big? Yeah, his closest friends, his closest teammates wouldn't talk. They just, I think... The Costanzos, all those guys. Yeah, guys that I know well and, yeah. and guys that would tell me, Zach, I'll talk about anything. I just can't talk about that. And that's sort of part of the mystery with him is that, you know... The closest people to him, Griff Whalen was a really good friend at Stanford. Yeah. And he played with the Colts and Costanzo and Doyle and Muhord. And those guys, like they haven't talked about it since and they won't talk about it now. There were enough teammates around him, coaches, former mentors, et cetera, that, that did. But that was always the case with Andrew Luck. And I kind of knew that going in and it was reinforced to me this time. Did you have one or two conversations that you just, one of those moments where you're looking at the recorder when it's going and you're having the talk and just like, I can't believe this is happening right now. Just, you're just having a great time. Because again, when you take on something like this, you talk to 30, however many people that you did, inevitably one or two are going to stick with you, even if they don't end up getting the most oxygen or the most prominence when the final product comes out. David Shaw for starters. Tavita Pritchard was the quarterback at Stanford when Luck arrived. And Tavita was like, I thought I was going to be the starter my senior year. No questions asked. This kid out of Houston was going to have to wait. He had to realize that. RG3 is telling a story about after he won the Heisman, he goes out in a limo. And I think Tyron Matthew was there as well as a finalist. They hooked up with Diddy that night. So picture Andrew Luck and Diddy in a limo together in New York City. <laughs> so that was an eye-opening moment where I checked and said, I really hope I'm recording right now um it was fun it, it was fun to go down memory lane with a lot of these guys bruce arians tells a great story of andrew luck's first camp he tears up the defense bruce comes out in all black the next day and the defenders are like bruce why are you why are you in black and bruce is like well i'm going to a funeral and they're like whose funeral 
He's like, yours, because Andrew killed you guys yesterday and he didn't say you guys. So um, it was a great it was a great trip down memory lane. It was great to talk to these people. And there's so many different personalities. And um, with luck at the center of it, most of them wanted to talk because his impact on them and on the program and on the franchises still reverberates to this day. That kind of leads me to our next question that I want to ask you. Why should people care about this now? In the few years since he's been gone, why is this story worth telling in this moment? And why should people be excited to hear it? Because I think it's one of the most unique stories we've had in this league in a quarter century. And maybe I'm too close to it because I lived it in Indianapolis. But, you know, part of this podcast is about Peyton Manning and how hard it was for Jim Mercy to move on from him. And I asked you that question. You don't just move on from Peyton Manning. And like you said, Nobody blamed the Colts for doing it because of what was coming next. And for it to end seven years later with this kid that was broken down and his love of the game was gone, it's it's a lesson for football teams. And I think it's relevant for Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and all these young quarterbacks, some of which are getting the crap beat out of them every week, like Joe Burrow. And I think it's also a conversation about athletes and what drives them and what sustains them, and what we expect of them. And, and a big part of the last episode is, is obviously him walking away, but you know, did he do what he was supposed to do? Did he do what we wanted him to do? Is he happy? Are we happy? Are we left wanting more? Um, I think it's fascinating because you think they're all going to follow the script. And, and I asked Peter King, what is the lesson in all of this? And he said, NFL careers do not follow a script. They don't, even quarterbacks. And I thought about that for a long time because that's what makes our job so fun because it's unpredictable. It's this great reality show, even when it's at times for the players, for the fans, absolutely heartbreaking and you're left with these questions. I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I'll get stopped. Me and Stephen Holder will get stopped at dinner in the airport. You name it. Have you guys seen Andrew Luck? What's he doing right now? Do you think he's going to come back? Like, does he still live in Indy? Like, the mystery of Andrew Luck is still prevalent to this day. And I think this, more than anything, this is the Andrew Luck story that you've never heard because it's never been done like this. I, I, I cannot wait to hear it. I am so excited about it. And I think it's for a lot of those reasons. You know, it, he was such a singular figure as a prospect. And we talked about him that way. Like he was the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. But now the line is he's the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, right? Like that's what Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be. So it's impossible to talk about Trevor Lawrence as a prospect without thinking about Andrew Luck. And then when you watch how bad it went in Jacksonville last year, it's impossible to watch the Jaguars last year and not think about Andrew Luck. And when you watch the Colts now and you think about the way the team was built and even like is Quentin Nelson on the Colts if Andrew Luck was not the quarterback of the Colts or was supposed to be the Colts in that moment? Probably not. I don't think Chris Ballard is hell-bent on drafting a left guard in the top 10 in that draft if he doesn't think, I need to put all of these building blocks around Andrew Luck. You draft a guard at six in this city, and everybody cheered from the rooftops. <laughs> how, how often does that happen? Where else does that happen? That's part of the story, right? I think there's so many, despite him being the standalone figure, universal things and lessons and takeaways that we can take from it because it's about what a quarterback can mean to a franchise. It's about when it becomes time to move on from one and go to the other. It's about how you build around one or probably more likely how you don't build around one. 
It's about what we expect from people. And I think that's, those are the best stories. Those are the best ones. And those are the ones that we continue to latch onto and we want to chew on the ones that even if they're about one person can teach us about athletes in general, about the league in general. And I think that he is that figure that it's an, he's an object of fascination, even all of these years later. And that's why I feel so lucky and so fortunate that we're able to tell this story on this show at this company and with someone like you doing it. So I really appreciate you digging into it, buddy. And I, I know that we're going to be better off for it. I hope everyone loves it. It's been five months in the making and uh, I'm looking forward to it coming out and it's, it will not disappoint. I can promise you that. So just so you guys understand, uh, formatting wise, believe it comes out July 11th. Is the, Correct. Is the, so July 11th is a Monday and all of the episodes are going to be available on July 11th. We will not have shows that week in terms of our typical programming. So you guys will be able to engage with Zach's story, with Zach's piece, with all of those conversations, all of those episodes at your own leisure over the course of that week. If you want to spend July 11th listening to every single one of them back to back, you can. If you want to save them for one a day that week, you can do that and not have to worry about getting interrupted by me and Nate bullshitting about something that isn't important. Everyone will come out on Monday, July 11th, 30 to 40 minutes each. Each of them kind of attacks a different chapter in his life slash a different layer of his personality. So um, it starts with a bang, though. It'll be fun. Please check out the aptly titled Luck coming out on July 11th. Zach did a fantastic job. Really, really excited for you guys to hear that. Zach, thank you very much for the time, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much to Lindsay, who we are going to miss desperately. Thank you to Zach Kiefer. Thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you for the questions. As always, sincerely appreciate them. It, it makes it so fun for me to open that email every single week and see those voicemails and see those emails and just know that you guys are going to do a thoughtful job that leads to a thoughtful show. Uh, I think it's just a real marker of how invested you guys all are in, into the work that we're doing. And, and that truly means something to me. So thank you very, very much for that. We will be back later in the week. I will actually not be here on Thursday. Uh, I have some other uh, obligations within the company uh, to handle over the next few days and that have prevented me from being able to do enough prep. So on Thursday, Mike Sando and Randy Muir are going to be holding down the feed. I know the show will be in good hands with Mike and Randy on Thursday. On Friday, I will be back with Nate and Deontay doing the lessons we learned, watching the best offenses in the league. So thank you to those guys for taking care of the Thursday show while I got other stuff to worry about. Just a reminder, I know we talked about it earlier on the show. I know we talked to Zach. Just want to say it as many times as possible. The week of July 11th, luck. All five episodes will be coming out on July 11th. You can binge them that day. You can listen to them over the course of the week. We will not be in the feed that week. We'll be taking a little break, a little pause to get ready for training camp to just have everybody take a little bit of time off but please 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 go listen to the fantastic work that zach and our team over here have done very very excited about that for now mike and randy will be back on thursday i will be back with nate and deontay on friday appreciate you guys listening we'll talk to you soon this was the athletic football show